0: Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. From the Epistle to the Hebrews, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, beloved, we are given a picture of true godliness of true sanctity, of true saintliness in the form of two widows. Holy Scripture commands that widows never be mistreated, that the Lord executes justice for the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. The widow, according to Paul, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. The Apostle James writes that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I remember several years ago in California, there was this older woman in her 80s that came up to me after a service and said, Father, do you make hospital calls? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She's good. Well, I'm coming to your church then. Come to find out. Uh, she had been in the hospital for six weeks, and no one from her church had come to see her. And it became a, a beautiful friendship, Valerie and I, uh, as I would go see her after hip surgeries and knee surgeries, etc. And she was always quick to pour me a wee dram of good scotch. She was she was a Brit, and she had actually lived through the Blitz and had wonderful stories to tell about that. And, and you know, I was reminded that, that being faithful in these commands actually leads to Quite a nice thing. I mean, I got some very good scotch out of the deal. But before we look at these two widows, we must ask why this is that these two widows appear before us in the readings today. Why a widow? What do we see through a widow? A preliminary take would be something like this. Widows are terribly unfortunate. One might say that in the ancient world, widows have a very, very, very hard time of things. They have financial difficulties, very little legal standing, and are taken advantage of. And all of that is true, and it is very much true today, albeit in lesser ways. Maybe not so lesser. I had a, a neighbor once uh, who had gotten herself into, she was a widow and she would gotten herself into a reverse mortgage, and the bank was coming to foreclose on her house. But I must say, having reached the end of it, But I must say it is important to take a deeper look because that is precisely what Paul does. He knows of their affliction. And yet he writes that she being left all alone has set her hope on God. Perhaps we should say that marriage is not a final end, neither for women or for men. A good many people today find themselves very disappointed in marriage It's not all they had dreamed it would be. It is not a fairy tale. These must be reminded, in fact, we all must be reminded that all of our hopes, insofar as they are not placed firmly on God, will disappoint us. The reason is that we human beings have only one end. It is to be in the very presence, the very glory of God. The reason is that Christians, I'm sorry, Christians stand in as much danger of idolizing marriage as we do in danger of dismissing it altogether. The widow reminds us, in a rather overt way, that human marriage is but transitory. We know this because Scripture is quite clear. The mystery of marriage points to a greater mystery the mystical union between Christ and his church. And it seems clear from the New Testament that in keeping with the law, widows were to be enrolled, Paul says, in 1 Timothy, placed on a kind of dole so they wouldn't have to remarry, so that they could remain committed to the life of prayer and supplication. Imagine that in a parish budget, a line item for widows, so that they could simply pray and be an example of, to the church. I'll propose that for next year, see how it goes. It is clear that the apostles learned this way of thinking from the Lord himself. The first widow I want to mention in this is this woman found in the gospel of Mark. Jesus has been teaching in the temple. This is at the very end of his earthly life, right before he would be arrested and crucified. He has been teaching in verses 38 to 40 of this chapter, beware of the scribes. They not only like to walk around in long robes that makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> and get their greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the feasts but they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they he says will receive the greater condemnation it seems that what is going on here is very fairly, fairly straightforward The scribes, the lawyers of the day, are making it possible for the heirs of an estate to give the widow the heave-ho. And probably other mechanisms, perhaps demanding that certain taxes be paid. It's like a Jane Austen novel. The problem is that there are those poor widows who have been made homeless by the judgments of these scribes. And the worst of it is not just this, it's that they do this while making a pretense of long prayers, while liking to be seen as righteous and holy and the rest. They seek to, quite literally in the Greek, shine forth their righteousness in long prayers, even as they collaborate to turn widows out on the street. And it is then that Jesus sits down opposite the treasury to watch people putting money into the offering box. Rich people are putting in very large sums. Presumably a number of these are scribes. A number of them are probably those who have taken homes from widows and sold them and taken the money. They are making a show of just how much money they're putting in. And this treasury, by the way, is the very treasury which is supposed to, according to the law, be kept at least in part for the support of widows. The hypocrisy is astounding. These people are giving a pittance to widows while taking away their homes. They are doing so merely to be perceived as holy, merely to be perceived as righteous. And Jesus calls the disciples close to point out this one widow who has put in two copper coins. A priest friend of mine who is also an artist composed this image on the screen of this. This woman rolling these two copper coins into the treasury as if they are great boulders. Do you see it? Is it there? Okay, good. It got across. When I first saw this, it, it, He said, look, I've made a painting. And I said, what is it? And he said, think about it for a little while. And I thought, I don't know, some lady rolling a rock across the screen? I don't know what. And he's like, no, it's the widow's mite. He, in a painting, says what Jesus says about this. And what is it that Jesus says? Not that this woman put in for her what for her was a great sacrifice. He doesn't say for her, two pennies is a lot. He says this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. More. This is what the Lord wants the disciples to see. This woman whose husband is dead, who has experienced the desolation not only of widowhood but of poverty, has put in more than all of those others, including the rich. More. He is showing her As what she truly is behind what is obvious, that she is rich and the others poor. Jesus is pointing this poor widow out because the lesson here is about what those who have set their hope on God truly have. This woman gives all that she has because her faith is right down to the level of what she will eat next daily bread. She has put her life on the line. Well, next we have the, woman, the widow of Zarephath. This is not an Israelite woman. She is likely a Phoenician. And the Lord has commanded Elijah in his hunger to go to Zarephath where he is told a widow will feed him. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever been to a widow's house for lunch on a Sunday maybe. Anybody? Well. No. I don't know. There's some parts in Texas where if you get invited to a widow's house for lunch, you're going to get chicken fried steak and gravy. At least that's the way it was in college. But when Elijah meets her, she's gathering sticks at the gate of the city. We find out later that she is doing this so that she can bake the very little flour and oil she has left. This is not a a nice meal. Flour and oil is kind of gross. Her plan is to prepare it for herself and for her son so that they can eat it and die. Elijah, before knowing this, however, asks her for some water and a bit of bread. What a desperate situation, bleak situation. All this woman wants to do is have one last bite to eat with her son before they lie down and starve to death. And now this man of God of a foreign nation has asked for hospitality. She is torn between her honor and her desire for at least a not so completely terrible or awful death. But Elijah tells her that her jar of flour will not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty. And she and her household and Elijah ate for many days, neither being emptied. When I was 17, I did a short-term mission trip to Haiti. And on one day, we were tasked with feeding local school children. They lined up at a chain-link fence with uh, with pillowcases, ready to receive the food that was being distributed. The missionaries gave me a bag of unmilled bulgur wheat and a scoop And some of my friends were given bags of rice and a scoop, and we were told two scoops of rice, one scoop of wheat. And these kids were coming up with their pillowcases, their mothers watching from behind the fence, and after about 20 children, I looked at that bag, which had started off full, and I looked at it about a third full, or two-thirds empty, and I looked over to the missionaries to say, is there another bag because we're going to run out, and one of them just shrugged at me. We had to feed over 120 children that day, and so I prayed very simply that the Lord would act so there wouldn't be a riot, which there definitely would have been. And I can tell you the bottom never dropped out of that bag. There is something about desolate people. There is something about widows. There is something about orphans. God loves the desolate. And both of these women are desolate. They have nothing left, and yet they step out in faith to give, expecting nothing in return. And it would be easy for me to say this morning, you might be here this morning feeling like you're spent financially, spiritually, vocationally, emotionally. You might feel desolate as a parent or as a student or whatever it might be. And I would be lying if I said there are days, Sundays, when I step up into this pulpit and don't feel exactly the same way, and today is actually one of them. I feel desolate. I feel spent. And I could say to you, step up and give anyway. Fill out that stewardship card. And I could make this a sermon about stewardship. There's a reason that the lectionary authors put good fodder for stewardship sermons in the November lectionary readings. But I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that because I'd rather you see precisely what is going on in these accounts than give to this parish because you heard a sermon, felt guilty, felt desolate, and started giving more. Forget that for a moment. That might very well be what the Lord is calling you to do. But I want you to forget all about it for just a moment. Let go of that thread. I want to point to you to the reading from Hebrews and say simply this, that what the Holy Spirit draws attention to in Holy Scripture through these two widows is indicative of something greater than widows who give out of their desolation. It points us not to a deeper moral vision or to an allegory with great insight, but to the end of all things in Christ Jesus. For Christ has entered Not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself." The writer is pointing his readers to think about Moses and the dedication of the tabernacle, that prototype temple, how everything was sprinkled with blood from the top to the bottom, everything purified in that manner, all for the forgiveness of sins. This is what the temple was consecrated in. This is what the tabernacle was consecrated in. You know, maybe we should do that next Sunday, just blood everywhere. There's a reason we don't do it, by the way, and the reason is this. The writer points to Jesus Christ entering into heavenly places to appear before God on our behalf. And he elaborates, not to do this every day of the year or every year on the Day of Atonement with blood, not his own as the high priest does, but what? With his own blood, with the sacrifice of himself These two widows point us to Jesus who in utter desolation, in the state of a widower, you might say, whose bride has been given over to death because of sin, because of her wandering, goes to the cross offering everything that He is, both God and man, to the Father on our behalf. In this, He rolls up to the treasury of heaven with two coins. His divinity and his humanity, all that he has to pay for our desolation, to pay for our life. He has given more than we possibly could imagine. He fulfills the never-ending supply of water and oil and flour by providing in his death a wellspring of living water, an anointing for the people of God by the Holy Spirit and the bread of his very flesh. And beloved, let me say this this morning, these sacraments, baptism, the Eucharist, and the anointing poured out in baptism, in confirmation, in holy unction, and in ordination, all of these participate in the very heavenly reality of Christ, the high priest, crucified, risen, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. None of these would be anything without that. Without Jesus at the right hand, setting his hope on the Father, giving himself over, outpouring himself to the Father, given over to intercession and prayer, baptism would be as nothing. The Eucharist would be some sort of farce. And the life of the church would be death. But as it is, we do not give three children over to death today, but over to life. True life. True life in God, such as Jesus Himself has. We do not give them over to endless hunger, but to be filled, filled by the Holy Spirit, filled with the new life of the Gospel, filled with true bread. Praise be to God for this. Praise be to God for this. Praise be to God that what we see happen this day has happened to all of us who were baptized, to all of us who believe. Jesus gave his life, his whole life, to the Father and to us for our salvation. And that is the reason that I stand before you today and say simply that you cannot go too far in offering yourself to Jesus as a living sacrifice. You cannot go too far in pursuing a life of holiness. You cannot go too far in living a life of total surrender. And to the parents and godparents of those who will be baptized, you cannot go too far in making yourself an example to these children. And yet, for some strange reason, we seem to have this strange idea that we should be somewhat moderate in our pursuit of holiness. Only surrendering a few things only surrendering a bit of our wealth, only surrendering and sacrificing a bit of our lives. And what I would suggest to you is that you and I often love friendship with this world based on making a pretense of our own holiness and goodness so much that we are often willing to make a pretense of all of it. And we become like the rich, putting into the treasury, and we become poor before God. Married to the spirit of each age, we become, as Chesterton put it, widowers in the next. But here again is the cure. Christ Jesus withholds nothing. Christ Jesus is not moderate in his love for you. He withholds nothing from the Father, and he withholds nothing from you. Today he offers his very self, participation in his body and blood, and that, dear friends, is all that is required to become a saint. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,